Welcome to Texas History Lessons. I'm Michael. Thank you for listening. And this is a very special bonus episode where we're going to take a break from our time-traveling journeys where we've been visiting the earliest indigenous peoples of Texas. And we're taking this break so we can celebrate a very special event. On September 3rd, 2020, the Texas Commission on the Arts awarded Deep Ellum, which is located in Dallas, they recognize them as a cultural arts district. Deep Ellum, along with the Arts District of Dallas, are the only two neighborhoods in Dallas to be awarded with this distinction. Houston has five. Five. This achievement was the culmination of the cooperative efforts of Deep Ellum's business owners, residents, and arts institutions. To quote Stephanie Hudeberg, executive director of the Deep Ellum Foundation, with its rich history, including the birthplace of jazz and blues in North Texas, highly connected community of artists and creatives, and vibrancy as a premier entertainment hub in the region, this designation is well-deserved. And in addition to all of that, I'm going to go ahead and release this a little bit earlier instead of putting it out on the day, Sunday, October 18th. Sunday, October 18th, 2020, marks the very first observance of the officially recognized Deep Ellum History Day. Now, when this was brought to my attention, I couldn't resist pausing my regular scheduled research and jumped into scramble mode to participate in this special occasion. And I've tried to put something together that's going to be informative and entertaining, I hope. Now, some of you might be scratching your heads asking, okay, but is Deep Ellum really that important to disrupt what you've already planned? And others, you know, people from all over listen to Texas History Lessons. You might not have even heard of Deep Ellum. And also don't get what the big deal is. The answer to the first question is yes. Yes, it is. It is important enough to take a break and look into the history of this neighborhood. And for those who are unfamiliar with Deep Ellum, well, hold on tight, because here we go. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and uh, in typical Texas History Lessons fashions, I'm going to go way back. (laughs) In keeping with our current themes of indigenous populations, which people who haven't been listening, we've been covering the first peoples that were here at contact. So in keeping with our current theme of looking at the indigenous population, I would be remiss to not mentioned that the Dallas area was once part of the homeland for the Caddo peoples, a very, very exciting lesson that we will be sharing very soon. Now, Dallas itself was first settled by John Neely Bryan in November 1841 when he set down roots on the east bank of the Trinity near a natural ford. He actually envisioned making Dallas into a river port with steamboat traffic bringing sellers and goods up the Serpentine Trinity. The river itself does not cooperate with this kind of idea, and despite efforts of civic leaders for to get federal support for making it navigable for over a century, they finally had to give up. But that is a story for another day. After the Civil War ended, hundreds of freed slaves moved to North Texas and established freedmen's towns. Deep Ellum, east of downtown Dallas, was one of them, and it was established in 1873 with the arrival of the railroads. Dallas was becoming the largest inland cotton market in the world. The area around the Houston and Texas Central Railway began to attract laborers from the surrounding countryside, and this is where Deep Ellum was centered. 
At the same time, we got to remember in the late 19th century and early 20th century, Dallas was a segregated, often racially violent city. And in the area of Deep Ellum, it became a refuge for black businesses, shops, theaters, and clubs. Just to name a few of the other Freedmen's Towns, there was North Freedman Town and Stringtown, located between Uptown and Deep Ellum. There was Little Egypt, which was just north of White Rock Lake, and Alpha, which is just north of where the Galleria of Dallas is. Now, over the years, Deep Ellum developed into one of the most historically significant neighborhoods in the city. It was located on Elm Street, just east of the Houston and Texas Central Tracks near the depot, but far enough from downtown Dallas to be called Deep Elm, which in turn, because of Texas pronunciation, it became known as Deep Elm. People were particularly attracted to the area because it was actually a rail crossroads between the Houston and Texas Central, which arrived in 1872, and the Texas and Pacific that reached the city in 1873. This made Dallas one of the first rail crossroads in Texas. They provided jobs and opportunities to start businesses that could support and take advantage of the use of the transportation the railroads provided. With that beginning, Deep Ellum grew into one of Dallas's first commercial districts for African Americans and later European immigrants. Businessmen drawn by the supply of workers and the important resource of railroad transportation began building warehouses and factory buildings, many that are still here today. Reutersville, Texas-born Robert S. Munger created a new system cotton gin in Mahia in 1883, and then he brought this new gin to Deep Ellum in 1884 and built his first cotton gin factory, the Munger Improved Cotton Machine Company, and a series of brick warehouses along Elm Street and Trunk Avenue at 3309 Elm Street. His invention revolutionized the ginning industry. Munger's business became the largest manufacturer of cotton processing equipment in the United States, and his company merged with some other smaller enterprises in 1899 to become the Continental Gin Company. Today, the buildings have been converted to loft apartments. Deep Ellum and the many other primarily African-American neighborhoods, which together made up Old East Dallas, were annexed by the city of Dallas in 1890, making Dallas the largest city in Texas at that time. After the turn of the century, Henry Ford had his attention caught by Deep Ellum. He was in the process of opening regional assembly plants for the Model T's to supplement his Detroit plant. And one of the earliest ones was established in 1914 in Deep Ellum and served as the Southwestern Ford Assembly Plant. It operated as an automobile assembly plant at 2700 Canton Street until the mid-1930s. Afterwards, Adam Hatz took over the site in 1959. And in 1997, it was converted into loft apartments. Following the arrival of Ford to Deep Ellum, an especially significant building was constructed in 1916, the Knights of Pythias Temple at 2551 Elm Street. It might be better known today as the Union Bankers Trust Building. It was the first major commercial structure in Dallas built for African-Americans, by African-Americans, and with African-American money. Booker T. Washington's son-in-law, William Sidney Pittman, was the architect for the project. And from what I've seen, he's also perhaps Texas's first black architect. And this building was his largest work. The primary tenant was the state headquarters 
of the Grand Lodge of the Colored Knights of Pythias. It served as the social, professional, and cultural center of the city's African-American community from 1916 to 1939. It was home to the city's earliest offices for black doctors, dentists, and lawyers. And for a while, it housed the Dallas Express, a weekly black newspaper. On ground level, there were storefronts for barbershops and drugstores. The second floor offices served physicians and other professionals with life insurance companies and other organizations filling out the third floor. And on the fourth floor was a ballroom with other public space attached. And people could go here and see the performing arts performed and lectures. And some of the most notable people that made appearances there were the Fisk's Jubilee Singers, Marcus Garvey, and George Washington Carver. Well, you might be saying that's all well and good. Very interesting. It was a thriving center for industry as well as a center for African-American culture and business. But when do we get to the arts and music? I just did. I was talking about the ballroom, right? Okay, you want more. So now, now is when we're going to get to the arts and music. As I said earlier, as it developed, Deep Ellum became a refuge for black businesses, shops, theaters, and clubs in a segregated city that could often be racially violent. By the 1920s, one-third, one third of eligible male residents in Dallas were reportedly members of the Ku Klux Klan. The Klan controlled many towns and city governments throughout the state during this time period, and they even held significant control in the Texas state legislature. Now let that sink in for a minute. This is something we don't know a lot about. I don't think a lot of people pay attention to this part of the past but this is this is all fact and the 1920s oh wait that's less than a, there's people still alive that were born in the 1920s so deep elm and its few blocks of elm street main street and commerce became increasingly important as a center of activity for african americans in the first quarter of the 20th century As I've been saying, it was a retail and entertainment center for Dallas residents, especially for black Americans, black Dallas residents. Anything you needed could be procured along Elm, including furniture, clothing, shoes, jewelry. Immigrating Jews opened up Deep Elm's Pawn Shop Road, which became famous, where more than 10 pawn shops operated until the 1950s. African-American citizens could not only buy suits, where they could buy stuff in other parts of the city, but they could also try clothing on before they bought it, which you couldn't do elsewhere. Black-owned movie theaters and vaudeville houses opened along with venues like the Gypsy Tea Room and Park Theater, managed by Ella B. Moore. They offered live jazz, gospel, blues, and vaudeville shows. And by the early 1900s, Deep Ellum had already become a well-known place you had to travel to if you were a blues musician from as far away as Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. A half mile from downtown, one source says, a black and Jewish business and entertainment district formed right under the Klan's nose. Now, among the country-born migrant workers that were coming in to play 
were some of the most influential musicians in the history of America. And I do not say that lightly. I love the arts. I love music. I love them both equally as much as I love my love for history and Texas history. But the names of these people, they're true legends. The number one one we have to start with is blues man, Blind Lemon Jefferson. He's the father of Texas blues. He was the first commercially successful solo blues artist. B.B. King, blues guitar legend himself, declared in his autobiography that he flat out tried to copy Blind Lemon Jefferson. In the 20s, commercial recording scouts discovered Deep Ellum, and Jefferson's songs were impossible to miss. They sent him up to Chicago for numerous recordings, and he became a radio star. Others that performed in Deep Ellum, Blind Willie Johnson. There's folk and blues pioneer Huddy William Ledbetter, better known as Leadbelly. Bob Dylan credits Leadbelly's records for him getting into music. George Harrison said there would be no Beatles without Leadbelly. Kurt Cobain, who famously played a show at Trees and Deep Ellum right when his band was on the cusp of becoming the biggest rock and roll band, performed there. That's where he ended up hitting a bouncer in the face with his guitar and then getting dropped to the stage with a right punch and a kick to the gut. And Then he still finished the show after a little bit of heroin in a closet. He also revered Lead Belly and owned one of his guitars. If you remember on the MTV Unplugged with Nirvana, he sang Lead Belly's In the Pines. Others that performed there, musical legends, blues pianist Alex Moore, Texas Bill Day, Charlie Parker's mentor, Henry Franklin Buster Smith, the blues guitar god Robert Johnson, who, according to legend, sold his soul at the crossroads so he could learn how to play guitar, walked the streets of Deep Ellum, and came through Dallas to record his famous sessions barely only a mile from the neighborhood. T-Bone Walker would often be seen leading Blind Lemon up and down Central Track and dancing for spare chains on the streets. Bessie Smith performed here. And as I said earlier, starting with Blind Lemon Jefferson, Paramount Records began signing recording contracts with deep Ellen Blues and jazz musicians, often using live recordings made right there at home. In 1920, 12 nightclubs, cafes, and domino parlors were open in Deep Ellum. By 1950, the number of blues and jazz clubs in Deep Ellum had climbed to more than 20. From hole-in-the-wall dives to dedicated performance spaces like the Harlem and the Palace. And despite being in a dangerous city where segregation and Jim Crow rule the day, there are many accounts of Deep Ellum that tell of black artists and white artists performing and playing together. There were clubs with mixed-race dancing. And then you also had... An unsavory cast of characters that included everybody from the pawn shop brokers that maybe maybe took advantage of a little bit of some people to just downright outlaws and gangsters in the streets of Deep Ellum. But Deep Ellum was creating something new where people could explore. They were operating outside the mainstream and they're breaking new ground on things that would endure. Now there's a song recorded, I think first by the Shelton Brothers in the 1930s called Deep Ellum Blues. Jerry Lee Lewis has done it. Grateful Dead's covered it. Um, I, there's a, I think there's a band called Mississippi All-Stars that did a, has a version of it. I'm not going to sing for you folks. I'm, I'm not. 
a mean person, but I am going to read a few of the lines. If you go down to Deep Ellum just to have a little fun, you better have your $15 when the policeman comes. Another verse. If you go down to Deep Ellum, keep your money in your shoes. The women in Deep Ellum got those Deep Ellum blues. Now, I once I knew a preacher, preached the Bible through and through. He went down into Deep Ellum. Now his preaching days are through. Now, that doesn't paint that good of a picture, I don't think, of Deep Ellum, but it is what it is. It's a song that's been passed down as a blues song and recorded by many artists. But the good times were not always to be. Deep Ellum went into decline during the 40s and 50s after the Great Depression. The Houston and Central tracks and the depot were removed to make way for the Central Expressway so the cars could carry Dallas workers away to their suburban homes while little was done for those remaining in the inner city. The Dallas suburbs continued to grow and encouraged businesses in the area to move away. Pedestrian traffic slowed as cars became more available and part of the culture. The streetcar line was abandoned in 1956. In the 1950s, Elm Street was converted into a one-way street heading into downtown and away from Deep Ellum, making it less convenient for drivers to happen upon the largely black and Jewish area. Things got so bad that a collection of merchants came together and carried a coffin down Elm Street in a mock funeral for Deep Ellum during the 50s. Despite efforts like the 1954 formation of the Uptown Improvement League to improve business in Deep Ellum, the area continued to decline. Businesses closed, residents moved to the suburbs, and the music all but stopped. The Central Expressway, new elevation built in 1969, truncated Deep Elm, completely obliterating the 2400 block of Elm Street, viewed by many as the center of the neighborhood. This was the street, the area that held the majority of venues that had fostered Deep Elm's vibrant music scene. If you want to see the real heart of Deep Ellum, you'll have to stand under the elevated highway, under an overpass that was built straight through the Freedman's towns of North Dallas, Stringtown, and Deep Ellum, destroying institutions like the Harlem Theater and Gypsy Tea Room. By the 1970s, few original businesses remained. This continued on into the 80s. Storefronts were vacant. Warehouses were empty as the streets. Deep Ellum was dead. But, but, but it wasn't. So that's one of the common things I keep seeing everywhere in Texas history lessons that when we look at a different part of our past, and one of the things that always amazes me, human perseverance, human adaptability, the refusal to quit might take a long time. Or as one source put it better, it seemed that what was once a rich and blazing community had been snuffed out by a highway. But under Deep Ellum's abandoned streets and behind its dark windows, a spark still burned, one that was soon to be fanned into flame once more. January 1983, there was the unveiling of the Deep Ellum plan. This plan called for the area to be redeveloped, to be downzoned into a smaller, artsy level atmosphere. Building heights were restricted, streets would not be widened, populations would be encouraged to stay low. And at the same time, artists started moving in. Art galleries and nightclubs renovated the vacant buildings. There was a resurgence of creative life, and the Dallas punk scene erupted in Deep Ellum. 
a man named Russell Hobbs took an abandoned warehouse in 1984 and he dubbed it Theater Gallery. It was nothing fancy from what I understand. With the works of local artisans hanging on the walls and a makeshift stage, standing room only crowds could watch acts like the butthole surfers and red hot chili peppers before they became famous. Music, art, and creativity returned to Deep Ellum. Artists and musicians could rent large lofts for a few hundred dollars a month. Retail shops and restaurants started following. As one writer described it, Deep Ellum became a haven for punks and counterculture in the 80s and breakout stars in the 90s. The Profit Bar and Club Clearview came to be in 1985, Club Dada, 1986. A new Gypsy Tea Room opened up in um, homage to the old Deep Ellum in the same time period. As somebody said, for over a century, Deep Ellum has been a spot where Dallas has put either the people it didn't want or didn't know what to do with. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because you put people like that together, some great things come out of it. Some of the people from that time period that associated themselves with Deep Ellum, Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top lived on a loft on Elm Street. Robbie Van Winkle, remember that name? He valeted cars in Deep Ellum. And he later used Deep Ellum as a setting for what was to become his um, hit single, Ice Ice Baby, when he performed as Vanilla Ice. The Dixie Chicks busked at the corner of Elm and Crowdus. You could go watch Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians at a gig for just a $3 cover. Only a three weeks before they appeared on Saturday Night Live and became countrywide names. The Reverend Horton Heat created a cult following. By 1991, Deep Ellum had more than 50 bars and nightclubs. Shops sold clothing, antiques, crafts, artworks. Warehouse space was converted into lofts and other apartments. It became a home base for bands like the old 97s, Toadies, Tripping Daisy, New Bohemians, and many, many, many more bands. The music venue Trees opened in 1990 and became a place where you could see not only local bands, but acts like Nirvana, Flaming Lips, Radiohead. Pearl Jam played for less than 40 people at Trees after playing basketball in the parking lot before the show. Jane's Addiction, A Tribe Called Quest, Soundgarden, Cypress Hill, and the Ghetto Boys. Artists and fans from around the world knew of Deep Ellum. If you were starting a band in North Texas, you had to play in Deep Ellum. Funland was an area favorite. Deep Blue Something and Bowling for Soup were loosely affiliated with the scene as well. Dallas local Erica Badu opened in Deep Ellum for New York rap duo Bob Deep before her 1997 debut album sold 3 million copies. The queen of neo-soul, Badu, has maintained ties to Deep Ellum and hosts a birthday concert event there almost every year. But you thought everything was just going to stay great? No. With success comes problems. Rents grew and businesses began to have to deal with them and increase zoning restrictions. Some live venues had to close. Trees closed, Dada closed, Bomb Factory closed, Clearview closed. But Deep Ellum did not die. The arts and music would not leave. There was a push in the 2000s by the city of Dallas for building of residential multifamily housing in an attempt to revitalization. Music venues started reopening by the 2010s, and a number of music venues had reopened along with some restaurants. A variety of groups worked towards keeping Deep Ellum alive. The Deep Ellum Community Association launched projects 
That included marketing and social media campaigns, urban gardening, historic preservation, merchandise sales, and community advocacy. The Deep Ellum Foundation began working to raise and distribute public funds within the community. The Deep Ellum Arts Festival, a three-day festival of original art and free music, was started and grew and grew, and its purpose was to promote the Metroplex's most progressive, eclectic neighborhood. And perhaps it's, that's it. It's the eclectic nature, the embrace of variety in Deep Ellum that makes it so special. To go to Deep Ellum means to expose yourself to the possibility of hearing hip-hop, punk, country, blues, jazz, folk, and metal shows. Ken Bethea of the Old 97 said, I've been to every town in the United States and played gigs. There are very few places like Deep Ellum in the United States. It's singular. And while a lot of focus has been on music due to its undeniable importance for the area, the visual arts is likewise deeply rooted in Deep Ellum. Throughout its history, Deep Ellum has been a place for visual artists to come and make a name for themselves. It has been a home to a vibrant community of galleries. In Deep Ellum, you can be stunned by street murals, public art, or simply public displays of creativity. For decades, artists have been commissioned by Deep Ellum's many music venues and restaurants to paint murals on their walls. Every street you go down is an opportunity to see something creative and colorful. In 1992, the recently formed Deep Ellum Community Association invited artists to paint the walls of the Good Latimer Tunnel. The tunnel was repainted frequently and became a dynamic and iconic entrance into the neighborhood. Unfortunately, it was demolished in 2007 to make way for the dark Green Line train. But the art didn't go away. There are community-wide mural projects. There's the Winsome Traveling Man sculptures. There are art galleries. Deep Ellum continues to be a place for creating, sharing, loving, and selling and purchasing art. Deep Ellum's home to art-based businesses, including photographers, tattoo artists, gallery owners. There's recording studios and graphic designers based out of Deep Ellum. So I hope I touched on it. It was an eye-opener for me. I knew a lot of this, but whenever I look into something for Texas History Lessons, I always find something rewarding. So in closing, congratulations to Deep Ellum for getting recognized as a cultural arts district. Happy Deep Ellum History Day on October the 18th. And Texas History Lessons offers great thanks and praise to the enduring and creative spirit of the workers and early inhabitants that created Deep Ellum back in the 1870s and to the visual artists and musical artists that have made Deep Ellum an enduring place and a special place from the time of its establishment to today. I would be remiss if I did not say one thing, though. The, the people and businesses that make up the area of Deep Ellum have been drastically impacted by COVID-19 and its attendant restrictions. If you would like to support and help keep this tight-knit and historical community vibrant in the future, consider donating to Deep LM100, an organization giving its grants to workers, musicians, and artists who help make Deep LM what it is. So go check out some of these artists I've mentioned. Go check out Robert Johnson. Go check out Blind Lemon Jefferson. Try something different if you're not familiar with that because the blues, and as a person who loves music, you can't go wrong with any of these people I've mentioned today. 
thank you for listening to this special episode of Texas History Lessons. As always, you can visit texashistorylessons.com. You can email Texas History Lessons at its email of texashistorylessons at gmail.com. There's at Texas History L on Twitter, and there is a Facebook page that I don't get to look at very often. So thank you again. Thank you for the people that suggested I do this. It was uh, rewarding and entertaining to me. I hope some of you enjoyed it just as much as I did, because I got a real kick out of it. And um, until next time, thanks for listening. Adios. Thank you.